Thank you for listening to the Reformation Bible Church podcast. We hope you are edified and encouraged by our ministry as you listen to our Gospel of John sermon series. For more sermons and resources, please visit the RBC website at www.rbcbakersfield.org. Thank you once again, and may the Lord bless you. Our Lord and our God, we thank you for your grace and for your mercy. We thank you for bringing us here this morning, Lord, too. To worship you on your day. Every day is your day, God. This day you have set aside for us to gather corporately for the hearing of your word, the purpose of worship, for the purpose of growing, being challenged, being sanctified more and more through your word. We pray that your spirit would not only apply, but help us to obey the word that goes forth this morning. Lord, I decrease that you may increase. I become less so that you can become more. I pray that you would move me out of the way, that you alone would be glorified, that your people would not hear me or see me, but they would hear you and see you. And what we are not, God, we pray that you make us. Where we are weak, Lord, we pray that you would strengthen us. And ultimately and finally, Lord, we pray that in our lives you are glorified. For the glory of Christ, we pray. Amen. John chapter 17, verse 6 through 19. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you, for I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those Whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I am coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost, except the son of destruction, that the scriptures might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in the truth. This is God's word. 
those who have ears to hear are blessed to hear what the Spirit of God says to the church. You may be seated this morning. This 17th chapter is considered to be, as was mentioned last week, the, the Mount Everest of the Scriptures, or a, a holy of holies, if you will, of the Gospels. We are privileged to have a glimpse into the mind and heart of Christ as the the shadow of the cross stands at the threshold. And with the shadow of the cross looming upon the human soul of our Lord Jesus Christ, we are given insight into the things that are most precious to him as this shadow quickly approaches. In the first five verses of this chapter, we find the Lord Jesus praying for himself, that the Father would restore to him the glory that was his with the Father before he became a zygote in the womb of a virgin. Why did he desire the veil of his glory to be removed? It was so that in turn he could bring glory to the Father. As we have been saying, he is the prototypical man of faith. In his humanity, the Lord Jesus Christ exemplifies what the Holy Spirit sets out to reproduce in our humanity. And what is that that is trying to be reproduced? The Holy Spirit is setting out to reproduce in us a life that brings glory to God. That is the reason why you exist, to bring glory to God. All pursuits, all aims, all desires must be filtered through God somehow gaining glory. Verse 4, I have glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. The Father, the glory of the Father was the great concern and the great burden that weighed heavily upon the soul of the Lord Jesus Christ. He prays that through his glorification, that is through his fulfilling and perfecting work as the redeemer of sinners, that the Father would be glorified. Now, in these verses before us, we see the Lord Jesus turning his mind and his heart toward his disciples. They are the ones who, in these verses, occupy the heart and the mind of our Lord. He, they are his, his chosen ones. They are the ones who have been chosen out of the world to be his inspired, authoritative witnesses to the world concerning his death, his life, his resurrection, and also his ascension. Our Lord prays for these men because they will soon become embedded or planted as the foundation of the Christian church. In Ephesians, uh, Ephesians 2.20, Paul says that the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, with Christ as the chief cornerstone. These men were uniquely chosen by Christ. They were uniquely used by Christ. The uniqueness of their role and calling as apostles, listen now, is a once-for-all calling. You can no more replicate 
the apostolic calling of these disciples, then you can replicate, listen, the event of Pentecost. There will never be another Pentecost. So-called churches may advertise that they will be having a Pentecostal service with signs and wonders of Acts chapter 2, but they do not yet know that they cannot replicate that which can never be replicated. We would never try to replicate the hour of the cross. Why? Because these events are seismic. They are cataclysmic. They are once for all redemptive historical events that can never ever be replicated. The apostolic calling can never be replicated. They are, along with the prophets, once for all times, foundations of the church. And Jesus prays for these men. He knew that the the weight of their calling, he knew that they, they would need support, that they would need protection, and that they would need preservation from our Lord, or of our Lord. And this is exactly what he prays for them. Verse 11 And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. Our Lord is going to the Father, and he will no longer physically be with them. He is going to the Father, and he prays, Father, keep them in your name. Verse 15. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Jesus is about to leave his little children as he calls them. And as he prepares to depart, he does the best thing that he could ever do for them. He lifts them up to the Father in heaven in prayer. That is the best thing that he can do for them. He lifts them up to the Father in heaven in prayer. He prays for them because he knows them. He knows how weak they are. He knows how they will face unrelenting opposition from the world that will be violently hostile toward the message of the gospel that they have been entrusted to deliver. And our Lord says in verse 14, I have given them your word. And the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. And Jesus knows that they have a powerful adversary that they will face. Keep them from the evil one, he says in verse 15. The Lord Jesus knows how weak these chosen eleven are. And so he seeks to surround these men with prayer. But what Jesus prayed for these unique men, he prays for all believers Of all times. Meaning this. That what Jesus prays for these men who were unique in terms of their role in redemptive history. They were unique in that sense. But they were not unique in the sense that Christ only prays what he prays only for them. He prays it for all believers of all times. As Paul says in Romans 8.34. Christ Jesus is the one who died More than that, who was raised and who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed 
interceding for us. What is what has Christ been doing all of these years since the ascension? Every moment of every day, he has been praying for the church of God. He is at the right hand of the Father, and his very presence evokes his prayer for the preservation of the saints, his sheep, his called out ones, his elect. Our Lord is praying for our restoration. He is praying for our protection. He is praying for our building up or for the building up of the saints. What does that do to your heart? To know that Christ himself is presently praying for you. We may not have given this marvelous truth a second of our mind, but I pray that you give it more attention. For the elect of God, the Son of God, our great high priest, ever lives, as the writer of Hebrews says, to make intercession for us. I am praying for them. Verse 9. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you've given me. They are yours. This special intercession of the Lord Jesus Christ is particular. The Lord Jesus prays for a specific people. He's not praying generally for the world. He is praying specifically for a specific people that are his. He is praying for his sheep. And the intercession of our Lord is one of the wonderful reasons why you and I are still walking down this narrow road. The intercession of our Lord is one of the wonderful reasons why You and I are still walking down this narrow road. As his sheep, we are daily watched over. As his sheep, we are daily thought for. As his sheep, we are provided with unfailing care by the one whose eye never sleeps and who never slumbers. We shall never perish. Why? Because our Lord shall never cease to make intercession for us. And his prayers, my dear dear brothers and sisters, will always prevail. Do you think there is a prayer that Jesus prays that is not answered? We will stand. We will persevere until the end. Not because we are so strong. And not because we are so good. But because Christ is interceded for us. Think about Judas. And think about Peter for a moment. When Judas fell, never to rise again. And when Peter fell, to rise and repent. What was the difference between the two men? What was the difference? Was one morally greater than the other? And one immorally less than the other? No. Was was one simply handling or exercising a greater handle of his free will? While the other simply was not able to pull himself up by his moral bootstraps? The answer to that question, to those questions, will always be a thousand times no. 
The difference, my dear brothers, between these two individuals lies in this. Jesus says to one who has been predestinated to destruction. What you are going to do. Do quickly. John thirteen twenty seven. And to the one who has been predestinated to eternal life, he says to him, Luke twenty two thirty two. I have prayed for you. I have prayed for you. Peter, Satan has desired, has asked to sift you as wheat. I have prayed for you. That you may not fall, fail. And when you have turned again, when you have gotten back up, because he has been prayed for, go and strengthen your brothers. I pray that this truth is clear. Though we be weak, though we be feeble, we have a high priest who ever lives, who whoever lives. And if you were to take the translation, whose reason for living is to make intercession for his people. The true servant of Christ ought to lean all of his concerns of his soul on this truth. Take comfort in our interceding Savior. This morning, I would like us not to look at what Jesus prays. Lord willing, we will do that next week. But this morning, I would like us to look at who it is that the Lord Jesus Christ prays for and how his prayers for those particular men are prayers for all people, all believers of all times. As previously said, the apostles were unique in their calling and in their function. But they were not unique in their identity as believers, meaning this. They were called for a unique purpose in being the foundation of the church of which Christ is the cornerstone. But they were no more human than you and I. They were no more followers of Christ than you and I. And so what Christ prays for these men, he prays for you and I as well. The Lord Jesus Christ gives us striking descriptions of these men. And these descriptions that our Lord gives about these men are true for all believers of all times. There are four identity features that the Lord Jesus Christ sets before us. And together, they give us a picture of the identity. Once again, not only of these men, but of all believers of all times. Number one, these men were men who had been given to him by the father. Verse six, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me. What Jesus says here about the disciples, the unique apostles, he says earlier about all believers in John chapter 6. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them. And I will raise them up on the last day. He is reminding us that the deepest truth about these men and all who belong to the Lord Jesus Christ is that we are people who have been given to Christ by the Father. We have been chosen out of the world to belong to God's son. Verse 10, all mine are yours and yours are mine. 
and I am glorified in them. It is not as though the Father has given us to the Son and then stands back and has no intimate relationship with us, no. But rather, within the Trinity, there is absolute equality between the persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. But there is also eminency, meaning this, that within the Trinity, each member of the Trinity has particular functions or particular ministries. It appears to be the Father's great work to initiate. It appears to be the Son's great work to execute the Father's initiation or initiative. And it appears to be the great work of the Holy Spirit to apply the great initiative of the Father and the execution of the Son. In each of these, the Father, Son, and Spirit work together, not separately, but work together. And Jesus is telling believers, telling us believers, who have been chosen in, chosen in eternity, that we belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. Can you turn the air on, please? Verse 6, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me. There may be some who have never heard some of the things that were said last week during uh, our elder Isaiah's sermon. One statement particular that may have caused a possible knee-jerk reaction among some was that Christ did not die for the entire world. And this moment is not for me to come up here and repudiate that statement or to repudiate Isaiah as an elder for teaching such things, but rather to affirm that statement. Being not only biblical, but historically orthodox within the Christian church and especially within the Reformed Church. Upon first hearing that statement, as such, we are tempted to often find the nearest exit. But why? It is because it goes against every single tradition that we have been raised to believe. And then we can attempt to draw from our memories certain passages that seek to oppose that statement. But what has Christ clearly said? He is presenting, he is presently praying for a specific people that had been given to him by the Father. And he manifested the name of the Father to those whom were given to him out of the world. Verse 6. The reason why we have accepted the words of Christ is because it has been previously, we have been previously given to the Father. Yours they were, he says in verse 8. I am not praying for the world, but those whom you gave me out of the world. Verse 9. And brothers and sisters, here is the plain teaching of the scriptures. God alone deserves all glory and all praise. Because of the fall of Adam, man is dead in their sins, unwilling and unable to come to God apart from the gracious work of the Holy Spirit. Man is unwilling and unable to save himself apart from the perfect work of Christ. Christ has come, 
sent of the Father to save a particular people that have been foreknown or foreloved before the foundations of the world. He has come to live a life that they could not live, a death that they should have died, but a death that they could have never died. And he has rose from the grave, risen from the grave, and he has conquered sin, death and the grave on behalf of those particular people who are chosen simply because of God's goodwill and God's good pleasure. Chosen and given to the son by the father because these particular people are dead in their sins, unwilling and unable to come to God apart from the sovereign work of God. Upon the hearing of the gospel, the Holy Spirit takes a heart of stone and replaces it with a heart of flesh to those who have been foreknown by God. In that great, merciful, gracious work of God, there is not one drop of blood that is wasted at the cross. Because all for whom Christ died will be saved. And because our Lord does not fail to save any of his sheep. Brothers and sisters, friends and visitors, God, by his own divine prerogative, does not give saving grace to every single person, but only to those whom he has sovereignly chosen. This is the divine prerogative of God, and it it has been displayed throughout the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation, from the choosing of Jacob and not Esau, to the choosing of Moses and not Pharaoh, to the choosing of Peter. And not Judas. And let me also say. This is not Calvinism. This is not something that John Calvin dreamed up. No man could dream this up. This is the plain scriptures or plain teaching of the scriptures. This is, as I used to say so often, Christianity 101. That salvation begins of God's choice of me in eternity. Not my choice of him in history. And if you are a Christian, this means that your salvation is eternally secure. Because it is embedded in the electing good pleasure of almighty God. It is anchored in his eternal, purposeful choice of you. Not your choice of him. Well, you may say, well, did we not choose? Yes, you did choose. But who chose first? You did not choose me, but I chose you, John fifteen sixteen. That is why the great hymn says, not my frail hold of you, but your mighty grasp of me. You may ask, how did these men and how does anyone come to know that God has chosen them in Christ in eternity? Verse six, I have manifested your name to the people you gave me out of the world. These men came to know God, not by their own investigation. It was not as though they were seeking God on their own and somehow found God who was somehow missing. No, God was not missing. You were missing. And God, by his grace, revealed Christ to you, gave you faith to repent and believe. And here you stand today. This is a work of God, the Holy Spirit, in conjunction with the Father and the Son. And so it is with you. 
You were missing. You were lost. And by God's grace, he found you. And this is no offensive uh, doctrine. This doctrine is a doctrine of grace. This doctrine is a, a doctrine of mercy. This is the most God glorifying of any one of God's mercies that you will ever know. Christ made known to them the name of the Father. He made known to them the heart of God. I have manifested your name, he said. The name of God is the essence of his being. I am that I am. And these men have been brought to know God through the illuminating ministry of the Savior in the power of the Holy Spirit. So what does all that mean? What does the Bible want us to understand in the depths of all of these truths that have just been explained to us? What does all of that mean? When you are pulled from the rubble of these great and powerful truths, here is what you should conclude. Here is what you should conclude. No more boasting. No more boasting. Soli Deo Gloria. To God alone be the glory. What do you have that you did not first receive? What do you have? What do you have? What did you conjure up on your own? Nothing. That's what. Absolutely nothing. No, it was all from God. And if you have received it as a gift of grace, then how can you ever begin to begin to boast? That you somehow, some way, had something to do with your sitting here and not in some jail cell or not six feet under somewhere apart from Christ. What part in that did you play? Nothing. No, that was God. That was only God. There is no room for boasting. It's not enough to say that I believe in the solas. It's not enough to say that I, I am justified by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. That is not enough. This understanding must give way to no more boasting. Those understanding of those great truths must give way to no more boasting. We must not only boast, we must not boast about our coming to Christ, but we must also not boast about our theology or our great understanding of theology. How long did it take you to understand? How many years did you sit in darkness? No, there is still no boasting even when you understand. There is only mercy and compassion to those who still yet do not understand. How long did it take you to come to understand these great truths? And maybe some are like I was three years ago, two years ago, wrestling not with, with uh, uh, flesh and blood, but with God. How could this be so? And what I was really saying was, how could I be blind for so long and not see this? All that I've been taught, all of the teachings that I have taught for so long that were so wrong. That's a tough pill to swallow. But pride is always a tough pill to swallow, is it not? 
No more boasting. If the doctrines of grace have captured our hearts and our minds, then there will be no bragging, no boasting. We tend to think of Christ as God's gift to us. But here, we are God's gift to Christ. Yours they were, and you have given them to me. Do you see yourself as a gift to Christ? And that is how Christ sees you. Number two, these men were men who obeyed God's word. Verse six, they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me. And they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you. Jesus is showing us here that God's election of these men was seen in their obedience to God's word. And in particular, that they had accepted the words of Christ as God's words. They had accepted the words of Christ as being words from God. Verse 7. Now they, did, now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. They were identifying what Jesus said as what God has said. Verse 8. For I have given them the words that you gave me. And they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you. And they have believed that you sent me. They believed that Jesus was God's sent one. Think about what our Lord is saying about these men. Our Lord is referring to these men as those who had obeyed his word. These men. Obedient to God's word. Were these men not constantly guilty of unbelief? Had these men not been corrected by Christ over and over again to the point that he would say to them, oh, ye of little faith. How much longer must I be with you? Wasn't their obedience often lacking? Shallow and immature. Yet, Christ says of them, they have obeyed your word. Were they, were they lacking? Were they feeble? Were they immature? Yes, they were all of that. And yet, in spite of the immaturity of their faith, the feebleness of their faith, their faith at the very core was real and sincere. <laughs> J.C. Ryle says, God's, God always judges his people more kindly than they judge themselves. When many would-be disciples abandoned Jesus in John chapter 6, these men remained. And they remained faithful. When large crowds who were following him began to turn and walk away, there is but a handful of men who say to him, Where else can we go? You alone hold the words of eternal life. So though they were immature and though they were feeble and though they were weak, they were sincere in their faith. Jesus 
true to his word, is careful not to break bruised reeds, nor extinguish smoking wicks. They have kept your word, he says. And I can imagine as he prays these words, he looks to these men who realize that he is actually speaking about them. And each one, knowing their faults, knowing their failures, knowing their own frailty. At the words of Jesus being strengthened and encouraged as their Lord points them as the ones who are his faithful ones. The ones who are given to him as a loved gift from the father. What an astonishing thing to say about these men. And don't forget what he prays and says about these men. He says and prays for all believers of all times, which means you. They have believed and kept my word. And you may be looking at yourself this morning and saying me. Surely that cannot mean me. And though you be frail, and though you be weak, and though your faith often be immature, your faith at the core of your being is sincere and it is real. And he says about you, Father, they were yours and you gave them to me and they have kept your word. We may examine our lives and say in so many different places, I fall in so many areas. And if we are honest, we have not fully kept his word. And yet our Lord knows at the core of our heart, we love him. We love him. We love him. Take courage, dear ones. Take courage as you hear the prayer of our great high priest on behalf of his little children. Yes, he is a consuming fire, but he is merciful beyond all that we could ever imagine. He is merciful. That's why the scriptures say, oh, how wide, how great, how deep is the love of God. And he is not done. Three. And they had lived lives which brought glory to God. Verse 10, all mine are yours and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. It is possible that Jesus means glorified through them. But if you can imagine a being among the company of the eleven and hearing Christ say, I am glorified in them. How? How could it be that in all of my failures, in all of my frailty, that I am somehow bringing glory to God? And he answers that question by their belief. And by their faithfulness to him, he is glorified when we give him glory for all that he is. And yet there are many times when we don't, but yet we are still here and we still believe our belief and our faithfulness speaks volumes of glory to God. He is not glorified first by what we do for him. No. But he is glorified first by what we are to him. His called out, sanctified, beloved ones. Judge yourself, yes. But know that God judges you 
so differently than you see yourself. It is like those who, I'll speak of my wife, who I could say all day long how beautiful you are and yet does not see it herself. We see so much differently than God sees. Jesus knew that they loved him. He knew that in the depths of their hearts, they belonged to him. And can you fathom the thought that your life and mine could bring glory to God? You might not believe it if it was not in this book. That our lives, as poor as they are, and we don't know the half of our poverty, that we could bring glory to God. It is equally true that we could also hide God's glory in our lives and bring dishonor to him. Paul told the Jews in Romans chapter two, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. What is your witness like in this world? Is Christ being honored in our lives personally? Is Christ being in our li- in, honored in our lives corporately as a church? It breaks my heart. When I hear of so-called professing Christians posting the most sinfully secular information on social media. And was said, and as was said last Wednesday, can bitter water and sweet water flow from the same stream? And what is the result? When so-called believers post Sinfully secular information on social media one day. And then John 316, if you will, the next. The result is the name of God is blasphemed among the nations because of you. How can we bring glory to him by like the disciples renouncing or reverencing and bowing before him in our hearts Laying our hearts down before him and asking him to search us, to mold us and shape us for his good pleasure and for his glory. Asking daily God to help us to live lives that shine for his glory and that are unashamed in the face of opposition. And our Lord is praying for us toward that end. Fourth and finally. These men had been separated from the world. Verse six, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were and you gave them to me and they have kept your word. Verse 14, I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. In verse 16, they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Once these men did belong to the world, but now they belong to Christ. They lived in the world, but now they were in Christ. Now, what is the world that Jesus is speaking of here? What is the world that believers no longer belong to, that we are said to not be of? The world is shorthand for the realm where God is not honored. 
The world is the realm where God is not revered. The world is where God is excluded. And it is where God is not bowed before. Every knee does not bow before God. And where every tongue does not confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. The world is once again finding its place in this maze of politics. And we need to pray now more than ever for this country. Because whatever route we go, whether it be to the left or to the right, the church must find itself on its knees because they will soon be facing approaching pressures and persecutions of the world that will cause us to challenge to be challenged of whether or not we truly are out of this world or of this world. We must pray like never before for this country and for more specifically the church for us to stand in the face of the coming persecution and opposition because both sides they may acknowledge God in word but in practice he is ignored his word is despised his gospel is rejected and ultimately he is repudiated we must pray for the church Jesus says of these men they are not of the world because the gospel translates us from the kingdom of darkness into the king kingdom of God's son whom he loves the gospel brings you into a world of grace these men and we men and women are separated because we have been called out of this world by Christ into Christ to live separated lives. This is why Jesus will go on to say, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. We are separated at conversion. This is a real and radical sanctification. Romans 6, 2. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We have been separated unto God. We live in the world. But by God's grace, we are no longer of the world. And why are we not of this world? Because we have been united to Christ. Does my life tell the world that I am not of this world? I live in it. I breathe its air. I interact with its people. But I am not of this world. Ask yourselves this morning, what are my chief desires in life? What do I aspire most in this life? Aspire to most in this life. What do I give my energies to? What do I give my time to? If we are Christians who have been sanctified, then we must live a sanctified life. And yes, there is a great tension between that which I have just said and that which was said earlier. And knowing that we often fail, we often fall, we often are weak. And yet is our desire, our aim, our goal to live lives that are set apart from this world. And if that is the case, 
then this prayer is for you. Then you can include yourself as those for whom Christ prays and prays for at this particular moment. I pray that you ponder on the thought that Christ, as you leave this place this morning, is praying for you. That you fall into the category of Peter. And know that when Jesus said to Peter, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat, the you was not just you, Peter, but you all, disciples. And I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have returned, strengthen your brothers. Oh, he is praying that for you today. Be encouraged. Be encouraged. Let us stand.